0: Welcome to Leadership, the journey with no summit, with best-selling author and retired US Army Major General, Robert W. Mixon Jr. Best known for his ability to inspire audiences, motivate teams, build leaders, and create cultures of excellence, Robert shares effective values-based leadership strategies and tools your team can put into practice immediately that will fuel your company's lasting success. Now. Here is your host, Robert Mixon. Well, welcome everyone to the Level 5 podcast series on the Leadership Journey with No Summit. We're privileged today to have Mr. Ray Isaac as uh, our executive guest to talk about uh, his leadership journey. And, uh, you know, Ray's career is a distinguished one here in Rochester, and the Western New York community, and across the country, really. Uh, As the president uh, of uh, Isaac Heating and Air, he's uh, third generation. Uh, member of this uh, great company, and uh, he leads a force that uh, is very diverse and uh, very successful, and even the most challenging environments like the one we're in. Uh, he's been, you know, one of the best companies to work for in Rochester, and and recognized in the Business Hall of Fame in this community. He and his father Jim, and 30 years of experience. I know that uh, Ray Isaac has been there and done that. In a lot of the challenges that we as leaders face every day and along this journey uh, i really feel fortunate that he's here with us and is going to share some of his insights uh along along that journey that uh hopefully all of us can take and use in, in our next steps along the way so thanks ray it's great to have you here
1: ah uh, thanks for having me robert
0: i wanted to ask you a few questions about your journey and then right of course you know take it where you want to but uh, of course the the big six principles that uh, i've been talking about with different audiences uh they they all have some meaning to everyone i hope and i'd like to ask you first uh, is there a, a, a most important aspect of one of those principles of your own leadership principle that has been sort of your guiding light over the journey that you've been on
1: um yeah i guess it, it's one that has developed it's uh, something that you really don't know is so important and is so apparent to you when you when you first start your journey and obviously we're talking on a normal journey it feels like the the current journey we're on i I, i'm on a boat and i just got thrown into the water so (laughs) uh, i think that's what everybody is experiencing with the very true but uh actually all of these principles do come into play in this in this process especially in crisis management and crisis leadership I said to somebody the other day, I said, this is an exercise in crisis management and crisis leadership. Who knows if it's going to be a case study one way or the other. It could be Mm -hmm. a success or it could be a failure. But really the one, I think the one important principle that I've always tried to uh, be comfortable with is really a self-awareness and a comfort in your own skin. And that's something I didn't realize so early on is that you know, there's so much pressure and as we grow up and as we develop and in school and in everything we do to, you know, preserve the core, protect yourself, look out for number one, never let anybody know that you don't know the answer, um, never show vulnerability, never show a a ignorance on something, and it is so liberating, and it was liberating for me when I was able to really admit that I don't know anything and that I'm... uh, I'm at the mercy of uh, a lot of things that happen, but really being okay with with not being an expert on everything and being comfortable with who you are, and an understanding of who you are and what your your strengths and your weaknesses, your tendencies, your all those things that they do analyses for. And it was really that's been the best thing that it's ever happened to me.
0: Okay, I certainly uh, can appreciate that, Ray. That self awareness is is hard, and the sense of vulnerability. Because I think early on in the career for most of us, uh, we didn't want to be vulnerable. You know, you wanted to be, you know, uh, strong and above it all. When in reality, you know, that I think our vulnerability gives us authenticity, which is a powerful factor in the leaders I've most respected. Let me uh, ask you this follow up here. What, what was your biggest mistake as a leader when you should have applied this self-awareness principle that you're talking about? Or observe
1: someone who should have and didn't do it, and what were the, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because I, I think it was created. The biggest mistake was created by a number of different things. Um, the first one was really being an SOB, and that's not only the what the SOB everybody thinks of, but it's also the son of the boss. And what I talk about when I do uh, discussions on leadership is what I call the legacy trap here you are, the third generation of a business coming in with the last name of the business and expected to do all these great things and, and sometimes expecting to be your father, either by yourself or by other people. And in my case, my father was probably one of the most influential and still is one of the most influential people that I've had the pleasure of, uh, of molding me. I mean, I said of all the books I've read and the speeches I've heard and the the lectures I've listened to, the person I still quote the most is my father. And and really, he was giving us lessons back then. And he had like some hardcore principles that we were supposed to abide by that I really never really paid attention to until I understood them. And the first one is your last name's a responsibility. It's never a privilege. And I thought that meant, hey, I just had to work harder than everybody else. And they're just going to do what I told them to do. And he uh, his, his teaching was that, look, nobody cares what your last name is. They're all here to do their work and to do the best job they can. And if uh, if they don't agree with you, they're not going to follow you. And, and especially if they're not trusting you. And that's obviously the first dysfunction of a team is the absence of trust. And just because my last name was the same name on the side of the business didn't mean that people trusted me or wanted to follow me or even cared what I had to say. So really it was, uh, it was something that was created on. And it took time to realize that. It took some beatings. Uh, we went through some battles with the organizations over the years, whether they be unions or other companies or, you know, opposing uh, companies and chem- competition and that builds up anxiety, it builds up pressure, it builds up competitiveness and all that stuff then all of a sudden creates this, uh, this preserve the core. When I go back to the number one statement of not being comfortable in your own skin, you almost go into survival mode. So, there's a lot of things that build into that, but really not not being okay with who you are and also thinking that you had to know everything and 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 starting off with that. I mean, what are you taught in school? What are you taught in college? Is hey, you got your degree. Now go out and take on, take on the world. And I remember going to my dad once and saying, Dad, I want to go get my MBA. He said, that's nice. We'll teach you the rest. And it was probably the best advice I ever got.
0: <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, right? You know, uh, I, I think in a family owned business, particularly with the name, you know, Isaac of the name of the company, you make a really, a really powerful point here is that, you know, you, you, you can't assume that that, that makes you a leader. And uh, I think your father, Jim, gave you some great advice
1: in the fact that you've got to earn it, right? Well, oh, you're, you're right. And the other thing is, and I often, uh say that this was the most liberating moment in my life as a leader was realizing that I did not have to be passionate about heating and air conditioning. And I thought for many years I did. And when you look at the, uh, the three circles of the hedgehog concept, what can you be best in the world at? And I was pretty good at what I did. What can you make money at? I was making some good money. And what are you passionate about? And you're not in the middle of that Venn diagram if you have all three of those. And I had two of them and I was not passionate about heating and air conditioning. and I languished. I actually had my resume out there looking for another job. Here I was, the president of the company, last name on the business, one of the uh, third generation owners, and I was out looking for a job. And I was describing to a good friend of mine who was looking to place me in uh, another place, and he says, you know what, Ray, I can give you anything or get you anything you want. I can get you stock options. I can get you a nice leadership role and a in a company, but I just have one question for you. I said, like, what's that? He says, all these things you're describing you want to do at this other company. I said, yeah. He says, why can't you do those at Isaac? And it was hmm. something I never even thought of before because I thought I had to be passionate about heating and air conditioning. My brother, David, is. He's one of our service technicians. He's an equal owner with me. He loves heating and air conditioning. Me, it's I love it, but it's not the passion. It's not what I come in to work for every single day. And it took me some time to really find my passion in, in writing a vision for the company and deciding that that's the vision I'm gonna get behind. And really it became improving the quality of life. That was uh, right around 2002, 2003 when that kind of an epiphany happened. And then it goes back to again, being comfortable in your own skin. I knew I wasn't comfortable. I knew I didn't wanna be in the company for the reasons that everybody thought I was gonna be there for. And I had to find that and I'm lucky I did. I mean it was it was kind of fortunate otherwise I'd be I could be working for some public company right now and doing uh different things and not having the opportunity that I've had at the company.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great story. Uh, ray a,
1: a great story of discovery.
0: And so mm-hmm. finding your passion uh was in 2002-2003 time frame, is that right?
1: Yeah, right around there and it took us some time um that led to us really reengineering the whole company in 2005. We uh we went through a whole process of really finding our core values and setting priorities in the organization of what we wanted to focus on first, second, third, and fourth. And we ended up coming up with those and then really creating a vision statement for the company. And it was uh, I was meeting with a good friend of mine who we still work with 15 years later, and we we're working through this process of reengineering. He says, you know, what's your vision for the company? And I sat back and I'm looking through my desk drawers. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for our vision. And he just started like, stop and think about what you just said. He said, if that's the case, you're blind. He Mm -hmm. says, what do you want the vision to be? And I said, well, you know, I I have some ideas, but let me talk to our team. And he stopped me there again. He says, if this is going to be your vision, it has to be your vision. It's going to be something that you're going to talk about and drive in the company. It has to be something that you're behind 100%. And from that, I was able to craft a vision statement for the organization that really Painted the picture of what we wanted to see.
0: Great, you know, I I talk about setting the azimuth, and you know, the azimuth has came from my experience in the military, but really that's the cardinal direction of your organization. You know, what's your true north? Mm -hmm. Uh, The mission, the intent, the values and culture, and I think the vision that you're talking about captures all those all those elements. But it's got to be a drumbeat and not Mm -hmm. uh, a one off. You know, let me look in the desk drawer and see if I can find it. Right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, as I tell you, talk about those wake-up moments in your life. It's like, uh, yeah, they really didn't make any sense, did it? But uh,
0: and we had a vision,
1: and it was uh, one of those typical ones of being the premier heating and air conditioning contractor in Rochester, New York, and the Upstate region, and blah 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 blah. Nothing that anybody could get behind with any passion. It's like, yeah, okay, that's nice. Uh, what else you got for me? So, yeah. The, it was it was a, a great process but it, it took some soul searching to get through it. So investing in people
0: is what I understand really is is your passion at this stage. Mm-hmm. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah I would I would sum it up as that.
0: And is the the you know the training academy concept that you developed, which I think is really innovative, was that part of
1: that passion for the investment in your team? Yeah. Um I, I would love to say that that was altruistic in the very beginning and that's the reason we did it. Um, mm-hmm. Really the basic reason we started our whole university uh, concept was that we couldn't find qualified people so we figured we'd do it ourselves. From that, <laughs> so that, that has grown. I mean, you know, the, the, the mother of invention is necessity. So we had a necessity and we invented a, invented a program but we've been doing that for 22 years. Um, it's recently received some recognition and notoriety because of the, a little bit of the outreach that we're doing and and creating what we call building careers for people, not just jobs, but giving them the opportunity to develop a career and, and be in a, in a career that they're happy with and they're passionate about. And that has transformed. And we're really at a point now where we've created our own school. It's a separate entity. It's uh, in a 30,000 square foot facility just down the street from us here. It's got a 20,000 square foot lab with every single trade. So what everybody else in the country is is discontinuing, we're starting. They're getting rid of the trade schools, they're getting rid of the shop classes, they're getting rid of these vocational education programs and we started with just having a new facility for our heating and air conditioning and that has now grown to be a multi trades training and education program and is something that we're I think we're very proud of and it's it's more than just Isaac now. It's, uh, it started with that. Obviously, you know, some good things start with selfish intentions, but it has is, is grown into something much more than just a program for us. Um, and really, what we want to do is give people an opportunity to have a, a fulfilling career and something that they may never even knew was out there or that they had a a skill level for. And maybe mm-hmm. we can find that hedgehog for individuals. That's terrific.
0: I, I really admire that. Uh, you know uh, focus that you have on people investing in a career versus a job I, I never really liked the term job anyway I always wanted to, to think of it as a career path and and hopefully other people in the companies that I'm privileged to be in would want to have that career path and not just be uh, a job which was more of a temporal concept in my view yeah how, how do you Ray how do you identify potential in your team members and managers to become leaders, because performance is usually the default mechanism. I think most leaders that I've been yeah. exposed to use. You know, the, well, he performs well, so let's promote him. How do you identify potential?
1: Well, it, it comes down to the personality. They have to have a, a likability factor, I think. And if nothing else, if it's you don't like somebody, at least you you go back to that first dysfunction of a team, or at least in this case, the uh, the first function of a highly uh, operating team is that element of trust. You have to mm-hmm. trust. And I, I don't know, I'm just one of those people. If I don't trust you, game's over. It's uh, I can, I, I love the five dysfunctions of a team by Lencioni because it really paints that picture of if you have a trust in somebody, you can have a great argument with them. I uh, believe it, it's, I mean, that's that's where everything good happens is through those arguments and that struggle and the, and a little bit of the conflict. So I have to trust them, and if I have that trust, then I like to see on and what their self awareness is. Um, how do they have a difficult conversation with somebody? And we use a a testing process through the organization to bring people in, but then it's they have to be vetted through the organization. Pretty much all of our leaders, except for a small handful, have grown through the organization, have really risen to the top. Not that they're any better of a person than somebody else, but they have that skill set that allows them to have a difficult conversation. I mean i have three brothers that are equal owners with me in the company i I report to them at our board meetings and each one of them walks in my office and man i do not want your job because they're doing what they like to do so it's there's a lot of great jobs out there there's a lot of great people a lot of great careers but they all shouldn't be working together so i like to have somebody that is in a good place that they have that self-awareness that they have what i call and what i've referred to as the the three elements of a team player and i i i what i call r d robin duplicated this from somebody most of what i talk about i've gotten from somebody else it's like uh it's like songs nowadays nobody ever comes up with a uh, an original song it's a no, re- no. Redo of a super tramp song or something like that <laughs> or elton john but i like people that are hung humble hungry and smart
0: yeah that's lencioni's model as yeah. well i think yeah. and uh, the ideal team player right
1: yeah the ideal team player i mean they ought to be humble i don't want any, i don't want i don't have to have egos here we we deal with enough of those we don't have to have them on our team i want them to have a hunger level for something and as mm-hmm. i said it doesn't have to be heating and air conditioning i tell that to our new new individuals in our boot camp program that are getting trained and educated for a career in heating and air conditioning i go in in the second week and tell them look if you're not passionate about heating and air conditioning at this point i'm perfectly okay with that as long as you have a passion for something and maybe this is a means to an end uh, where this is either part of your journey or each and every day, you love coming in and doing what you're doing, but your, your passion is bass fishing. And this allows you to get out early and hit the water early and buy a nice boat and spend time with your family and your buddies. I'm okay with that. I mean, we don't have to be the be all end all. I mean, I, I tell this to people when I do a, a keynote speech on it's only, you know, it's only heating and air conditioning. I mean, we're not creating world peace here. So we need to be okay with that. And again, that goes back to being comfortable in your own skin. I mean, I'm the president of a heating and air conditioning business. My dad always said, don't take yourself too seriously. Nobody else does. So <laughs> I like to have people that have that hunger, uh, that have the intelligence level and have that trust factor that they um, they trust their people. So their people then will trust them. And that's from uh, one another book that I love is Trust and Betrayal in the Workplace. I mean, trust begets trust and trust begins with you. So I like to make sure that they have that trust factor in them. Yeah, I think
0: Stephen Covey calls it uh, that trust is the glue of life. And mm-hmm. uh, I agree with that. I think it sounds like you do, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good. So
0: what do you think are the characteristics of a world-class culture, uh, oh. that ecosystem that, that helped to create in, in your organization?
1: It's, a, it's kind of ironic when I read that uh, that. Uh, the question on the on the document, mean, it's ironic because we actually changed our vision statement from what I wrote um, in 05 to a new vision statement to delivering a world-class experience. That was our our new vision, and I was in an interview one day with an individual, and and I am talking about the company, and I always I try to do every final interview in the organization, so that's another way of trying to get the top. Mm-hmm. Or, people that you can trust in your organization you be the person that interviews them and i'm talking about a vision was was our original vision and he looked at me says um that's your vision i'm like well yeah he says well that's not what's written on the wall out in the lobby i said well that that's that's actually the vision we changed it to that but i still talk about this one and it's it's funny the from the mouth of babes or, or new yeah. hires he looks at me says then then why do you have it and it's yeah. I said you know what you're right and within a week, we changed back to the the vision that I thought. But really, my thought of a world class culture comes from that vision of. And it's really to sum it up is to create an enjoyable experience met with anticipation. That's the first sentence of our vision statement. I some place where it's fun, it's energetic, it's competitive, it's results driven. It's a place where there's no self preservation. I mean, when you you know join a pickup basketball game or a flag football game or something like that with your buddies. I mean, it's it's just fun and you look forward to it and you're not doing it for money. You're doing it because you you just love it. And whatever that is, that's what I want in a world-class culture is people where there isn't that, yeah, we're results driven. Uh, we We want to win. We're competitive as an organization. Our Our mission statement is lead at all levels. We need leaders at all levels and we want to be a leader at whatever we do. But a world-class culture is one where the predominant thoughts and actions and discussions and, and emotions in the organization revolve around people enjoying each other's company and here for a shared cause and realizing that we're not creating world peace, that we're here for a small part of maybe making the world better but they're here for the right reasons. There's no false pretense. And that's has to start with me. As I said, it, this the culture stunk because I didn't want to be here myself. And that was kind of a turning point when the leader of the organization doesn't want to be here, how do you expect the culture to be? So, True. and I um, I actually do a, uh, I do a keynote called Never Work a Day in Your Life. And I, I, I present that to groups around the country. And I start that off with two qualifying questions. First of all, have any of you ever been reincarnated? And the last time I did it was down in Fort Worth, Texas. There's about 350 people in the room. I'm doing the closing keynote. And I asked that question. Nobody raises their hand. I said, all right, let me ask you another question. Who in here is a leader in your organization? And pretty much everybody raised their hand. I said, all right, close your eyes. And I want you to answer this question by raising your hand. How many of you in here absolutely positively love going to work every single day? No matter what day it is, 2 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday or 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, how many of you love going to work every single day? And my hand was one of the 10 hands that went up. And I told her, well, okay, raise your hands. Okay, open your eyes and look around. You hear a hush coming over the room. I said, you know what? That's pathetic. I said, how many of you in here want this for your employees? And I show a slide of employees jumping up and down, high-fiving, just having a blast. And every single person raised their hand. I said, well, if any one of you is raising your hand now that wasn't raising it before, there's another word for it. It's called hypocrite. And you have to demonstrate and practice what you preach in your organization. And if you don't love going in every day, believe me, your employees are pretty smart. They'll see right through that. They're pretty intelligent people. And you can't pull the wool over their eyes. They, they know if you want to be there or not.
0: Yeah, that's great, Ray. What, you know, as far as
1: advice for young leaders, you know,
0: if I had, if I said, Ray, what would be the, the one big idea you would impart to young leaders, for, regardless of their profession, uh, if, if they're going to
1: achieve their potential, what would that be? Well, I nothing else. And again, there's a lot of great tactics and things like that, but I'd go right back to the answer to the first one. Create a better sense of self-awareness. Understand who they are. That may be through counseling. It may be through um, testing. And we do a lot of analyses in our organization. We do what's called a predictive index, which gives us a profile of the individual. We also do a dis-profile of all of our individuals who go through leadership training and education in the organization. Uh, we do a temperament study, uh, which is a survey, and we use that mix, that menu of those three together, that uh, that recipe to really help them understand themselves better. And we actually have in our office here, right on the door of all of our people in the company that have offices here, they have their predictive index profile right on the door. Mine's a controller. I, I like the I like to drive. Uh, I like options. I like to know the facts. And then I'm going to make the decision. So when people go up to somebody's door, they can look right at their, their PI and say, okay, I know how to work with this person. Mm-hmm. And leaders, and it's it's never, I don't think, I don't think they do a disc profile in any of the major college curriculums, which is, which is amazing, or any of those. I think I might've taken a Myers-Briggs, but I think that was after I graduated from college. That was the the learning the rest of it from that my dad said, but I I really don't think they do a good service to people coming out of school, whatever school it is. They ought to do this in high school, and just to create that self awareness based on some sort of a scientific analytics to know, hey, this is what I like to do, and this is how I like to do it.
0: Yeah, and what kind of what kind of person, what kind of inclinations do I have? I, I, I agree, Ray. That would be very useful, and I think this the type. of uh, personality surveys that you're talking about, uh, when they're employed with a a number of other factors that you've talked about, then they give you a more comprehensive view of okay, who am I? What
1: do I represent?
0: And mm-hmm. who is she? And
1: what does she represent? And how do we communicate effectively? Yeah, before having I mean, before you can deal with somebody else, you you got to know how to deal with yourself. What are the conversations you have with yourself? And and what are you what are you telling yourself? And I know the, the psychoanalysis part uh, is something that I don't think, I, I really don't think it gets enough service, and I don't think they, they do a good job, any of the college programs, in that I see they get into some of it in the MBA-type programs on leadership, but you shouldn't have to go to a course on leadership to understand who yourself you are. Fair enough. No, I agree,
0: right?
1: Is there any other big idea you want to pass on to the audience? Oh, I probably could talk for hours, but I uh, <laughs> I like your – you're questioning because it really does hone down to that that core of uh, of really leadership. And as we're, we're talking and going through a a crisis right now, and and how we're dealing with that, as I said, that's you're making now day to day decisions. You're making hourly decisions. And one thing that you know I think a lot of leaders maybe don't appreciate when they're starting out is that no decision exists in a vacuum. It really doesn't. And and I find that when I'm watching the news reports that you have the health professionals say, hey, everybody just stay home. Okay. I have employees saying, I want to come to work because I have to pay my mortgage and I have to pay my bills and I have to stay active. You have the people on the financial side saying, get out and spend money. And I mean, and I love uh, good to great. I do refer to it a lot, but I love in there the exercise on the beauty of the and and the tyranny of the ore. In leadership, there is, I don't think, the or is the easiest decision you can make. And I told my employees that the other day. I do a nightly communication to all of them uh, in a little email just to let them know what's going on. And I say, you know, the easiest thing we could do is just shut the company down. That's the or. We can either operate a business or shut it down, and we'll focus on one or the other. I said, the real work comes in when you focus on an and, when you're focusing on the and of a decision. Have this and have that. And we do this every single day when we run 24-hour service, and we have people that don't necessarily want to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning to run a service call when it's a blizzard out. Um, The easy thing, the aura would be we don't run 24-hour service. The and is we can run 24-hour service, but also structure a program around having people that want to do that. So no decision that you make is going to exist in a vacuum. There's always 26 other factors that might come into play, and people that you affect In that process and as you grow throughout an organization and you're in charge of more and more people you know if you think about if you're in charge of 20 people take that times 4.3 because that's the average size of the family in the united states is 4.3 people and that's one thing my dad drilled into my head he says you're not just affecting yourself the owners or the employees you're affecting that times 4.3 so it's kind of like the 4.3 rule whatever you do you're affecting 4.3 times that many people
0: well Great insights, Ray. I really appreciate the opportunity to to learn from you today. And and I know everybody in the Level 5 audience is going to value the discussion that we've had and and the insights you've passed on. So thanks again for spending some time uh, sharing your your knowledge and insights. And I certainly wish you well, not only the current crisis, but in your journey ahead and the people that you're leading so well. Thanks, Ray. Well, thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Very much enjoyed the journey with Ray Isaac today and look forward to uh, more of our podcast series on the journey with no summit, as we will explore the expertise of other executives as well as some lessons uh, that we've learned and I've learned in my journey to help you in yours. Thank you for listening to Leadership, the journey with no summit. Be sure to give our podcast a great review wherever you listen to your favorite shows.